Hello East Glenville Community Church. This is Jessica Munn and Pastor Mitch with So I Have a Question. And this is episode 10 and we're discussing the uh, teaching from Sunday, November 28th. So Pastor Mitch, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good. All right. Uh, so I have a question. All right. Okay. So we started off in Acts chapter 17 and it's one of Paul's speeches while he's talking in the Mars temple. Uh-huh. And so that, like, it struck me that you specifically were like he was speaking in the Mars temple. And as I was thinking about it, I was noticing that, like, the rabbinical upbringing of that time um, said that, like, you would not, you were, a good Jew would not enter the house of a non-Jew. Okay. And so for me, like, the fact that Paul is speaking in a temple to another god, it, it kind of struck me. So I was wondering, like, what what can we learn from uh, Paul? Okay. Well, let me clarify. I don't yes. think he was actually in a temple. Ah, okay. I think it's called the, the, the Pagos part is a hill. Got it. So he was on the hill where maybe the temple was featured. Okay. And it could have even been just a name that they developed over time. Of, oh, we're going to okay. have our meeting place up on Mars Hill, Do, you know, and mm-hmm. s- s- but it still highlighted the fact that in Athens, there would have been multiplicity of these temples okay. and it was a, a, a secular, well, it wasn't secular, <laughs> it was a setting in which um, we would think of it as secular, but non-Christians were, were gathering to talk about ideas mm-hmm. and Paul was willing to go. And engage with that. Um, in some ways, I, I uh, picked out this passage to to make a certain point about how God would bring salvation through the Jewish people and how that odd that would have seemed to the Greeks. Yep. Really, this passage often is used as a sermon about how to approach intellectuals. That's the most common way I've ever heard this passage preached on is... Mm-hmm. You know, how did Paul use his, 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 uh, what tactics did he use to gain a hearing from people who otherwise wouldn't think would listen to the Christian message? So I think it it is helpful to, to, one is, is Christians should be willing to engage non-Christians where they are willing to listen to us. And it's, it's awesome when we can gain a hearing and I think to use that even wisely, mm. like Paul does not go on the attack. He he engages with them where they're at. Um, the idea, whole idea that, you know, I see that you are a very religious people. You have all these temples. You even have a temple to an unknown God. Like, not quite praising them, but highlighting. He started with, you know, pointing out things about their own thing. And, and then he used that to lead into... Let me tell you about the God you've missed out on so far. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a brilliant talk. He even quotes their philosophers. Yeah. Um, a couple of the quotes in the passage were um, things that, that would have been familiar in their world. Um, so Paul wasn't afraid to engage people. Um, I think you're right. I, I don't know if the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, would have gone to such a setting mm-hmm. because they would have kept their distance from you know the 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 unclean peoples 
and it does show you how far Paul has come. Mm, yes. That, you know, the one who was training to be or even ready to kill Christians at one point has God has moved his heart so far that he's willing to go. Um, he talks about, um, you know, I, I'll be, I'll be who I need to be so that I can share the gospel of Christ yep. with other people. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, so another question. Um, so you mentioned that a, a Greek or a Roman who would be listening to Paul speak in this setting. So they would, in order to agree with what Paul is saying, they would have to concede that the God of all creation was working through a single minority group. Uh-huh. And so how, like, would that have been a huge hurdle for the Greeks to kind of get over to believe in Christianity? Or, like, what, like, implications does that have? I, I, I'm I guessing it would be. Um, now, on one level, and I mentioned this as well, is that in the, the zeitgeist of the times, there was this in, interest in exotic religions. Mm, mm-hmm. the, the, there, there's these mystery religions that would have some great secret that you had to be initiated into the religion to get the secret. Sounds um, like a cult. <laughs> well, they were called mystery cults, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but for theologians, they use the word cult to mean any organized type of worship. That's, okay. Um, but it, but they were in that sense, and they still don't know exactly what it is. Sometimes they think it has to do with slaughtering a bull and blood and all kinds of weird stuff, mm-hmm. um, at least some of them. And, and so I think there was that curiosity. But to actually believe that the that the the god of the the jews was the 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 one true god mm-hmm. that would have been the biggest hurdle i think there was being a willingness to add it to the pantheon right of gods that they consider or think about and you know that's a novel new idea yeah but to own up to the the story as paul was framing it that there's one man mm-hmm. you know raised from the dead whom you have to answer to it says you know that one man through whom the world will be judged. Mm-hmm. That was where they started to say, wait a second. Um, so I think there are a lot of, I like to use the word hurdle. Um, the word that sometimes used is stumbling block. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of stumbling blocks for these Greek intellectuals. Um, a man being raised from the dead being one of them. Right. Um, but I think also, you know, really they, they have the truth. And not us would have been another one. Right. Kind of like how you started the sermon talking about the smorgasbord. Like if, if you believe that there's more than just one God, you can kind of pick and choose. Like I, I like this aspect of this God and this aspect of this one and kind of make your own like, oh, this is the stuff that I like that makes me feel good and has seemed to like give me prosperity from so far. Whereas Christianity was like, nope, there is one and he is the only one. Yeah. And what, let me ask you, do you see that as one of the stumbling blocks for people, especially in like young adults today? Hmm. Is that same idea that you have to really? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's less, since we come from a less of a polytheistic worldview, I don't think like the idea of there being only one, maybe as much of a, a issue. Uh, actually, no. I think it could be because 
you have some people like the whole saying of like you do you like let me do me and you do you so it's the like nobody wants to believe that somebody could actually be wrong yeah that there is only one religion that has it right type of thing yeah and that it's not them so i could see that a little bit um but i i don't think it's as primary yeah so when i want to try to know what what pop culture thinks or kind of the world thinks i think about tv shows especially sitcoms Mm -hmm. there's one called the good place i don't know if you ever engaged with it i haven't no it it was interesting and it because the good place was supposedly heaven but it wasn't christian heaven is it and and so in that they there's an the guy in charge of the good place tells um the main character you know does she ask well well, who is right about Mm -hmm. eternal life and afterlife and he says oh everyone was pretty much mostly wrong everyone had about five percent of the truth (laughs) that that is what the world would say right we're all in the dark about god and about the things of divine spirit and all that and so maybe if we if we work hard we can get about five percent right but we really don't know what we're talking about Mm. and on one level that's very true if it were up to us (laughs) to figure it out yep we couldn't do it and it's quite possible that the the Greek philosophers got the closest. When you look at Plato and some of the at least C.S. Lewis thought Plato was pretty pretty close on a lot of the the truths mm. um, that they actually philosophically deduced quite a bit. But but even they were so far away. Mm-hmm. And if God would not have chosen to somehow teach us and reveal himself to us. Right. Then we, when we couldn't know about him. Yeah. It's no wonder we made up these ideas about false gods. Right. Because we, it's easier. Yeah. It's kind of like how you, you mentioned in the sermon that like just like creation itself points to God, but just creation itself without the revelation of Jesus, it's hard to come to the correct conclusion type of thing. Right. Well, think about it. If if I, I, it's no wonder that the sea, the Greeks who live by the sea, right, sea is very chaotic, very yep. unpredictable. What are their gods like? Okay. They're unpredictable. Yep. In in Egypt, what are their gods like? Well, they focused on on a sun god because mm-hmm. of the intensity of the sun in that that land. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, um, the. The Canaanites, they seem to focus on a storm god a lot because you'd get those main storms. So, right, you draw from nature. If that's all you have to go on, yeah. what God is like, those are the kind of gods you're going to um, come up with. The 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 Norse, right, they have yeah. warrior gods. Odin and Thor, they're all. Yeah. And, you know, you'll get to meet each other in Valhalla after the battle. Mm-hmm. So when we make up gods, that's what we get. Right. God had to reveal himself to say, I'm not like any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Which is is why I kind of try to do that broad overview. Yeah. How did you react to the, the overview that I, I talked about, how God revealed himself over time to the Jewish people? Yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought it made a lot of sense, the fact that, like, God had to... Um, had to reveal himself because without it we would forget um, 
because even like the Jewish people sometimes forgot what God was like. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of God just showing up in all his power and glory, I mean, he did that. We were talking about it before. Like he did that at Mount Sinai. Right. And the Jewish people were like, ah, no, no, it's okay. Like, you know what, Moses, like, you just talk to them. Like, we don't need to talk to them. You just talk to them. Right. And then five seconds later, they're building an idol calf. Yeah. Um, and so, the yeah, just the idea that God, like, to fully understand who God is, he had to reveal himself to a group, people group that would understand him and also in a, in settings and stuff where right. you could not just import your own theology yeah. um, because if if you're a polytheistic type of person and God just showed up then you would just be like oh okay he's just one of the other gods like he okay. he might be more powerful but he's just one of many yeah um, and what's amazing about the Bible <laughs> is how ultimately was God revealing himself. I mean, you talk about the giving of the law, and that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's not really the way they came to know him. Right. God was in, in involved with them. He was interrelating with them, mm-hmm. and and that is when they start to see God. It's the the prophets interacting with him, and that being written down. That understanding of God's character starts to be grasped. Right, and even just the fact that like it didn't it didn't start with the law. Technically, it started with Abraham. Yeah. And there was no law with Abraham. It was just a personal relationship with God and Abraham based off of trust. Right. That then went three generations. And so it was like that that trust was the first foundation because it was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh-huh. And then after that, when God brought them out of Egypt is when it's like, okay, let's put some laws down to this right and begin to teach god's ways right like you you know that i am the god of your forefathers and that like okay we have the trust down somewhat yeah and the the faithfulness part down like you get that of my character so now let's talk about the law and stuff yeah and how a lot of the law was at least my understanding of it a lot of it had to do with undoing what they had learned while they spent time in egypt Mm-hmm. Um, how to live together as a community. Yep. And, and, and do, in, in their time and place. Right. And do it differently than the other nations did it, potentially. Yeah. To show, again, to continue to show who God is. Right. Um, yeah. And we had talked before, and, and you, you said it, it, it wasn't... It wasn't a straight, smooth growth factor. <laughs> no. T- tell me what you were thinking with that. Yeah, I was thinking of just the idea of how, like, so when, what happened when God's own people forgot who God was and what uh-huh. he was like. And so I was thinking of the, you know, you start with, or after. Um, You're talking about the period of the judges. Yes. And, which was a little bit after Moses. Mm-hmm. And you have each. Uh, each judge who comes up to rule Israel is like kind of knows God less and less as you go uh-huh. throughout the book. And so you kind of see the nation like spiral as their leaders and the people themselves forget who God is. And so the example I was thinking of is there was a judge and I'm going to butcher his name, Jeff, 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 there you go. Um, and so he goes out on a mission from God and, you know, defeats the Ammonites, I think. Probably. 
and um, he, like, you know, as a thank you, is like, okay, God, the first person, or what now, the first thing that comes out of my do- the door of my house, I will sacrifice to you type mm. of thing, which at that time, the cattle lived in the house with people. So, you know, he's thinking, oh, like, you know, my if my bull or my sheep or whoever comes out to greet me, um, that's what I'll sacrifice. But instead, it's his only daughter. And so he then, like, you know, goes through with the sacrifice and sacrifices his daughter. Meanwhile, if you actually know who God is, you know that, like, the thing he hates the most is child sacrifice. Uh-huh. Um, it's one of the practices he hates. And you see how, you see that difference between, or you could compare that story with the story of uh, King Saul. He's going out in a battle and he says, like, okay, don't, we're going to give this over to the Lord. And so if anybody eats anything, I'm going to kill them. And his son, Jonathan, doesn't hear of that command or that saying and uh, and proceeds to be the one to start the battle because the Lord led him to. And they have a uh-huh. huge victory that day, but he eats some honey. And so it, it gets brought up. And so Saul's like, oh, I promised to God that I would kill my son. I got to kill him. And everyone's like, wait, 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 no, like, why would you kill your son? Like, mm-hmm. and even Jonathan is like, dad, like, why did you, like, that was just dumb. Why did you do make that decree that nobody, or that oath that nobody should eat yeah. for the battle? And they, like, Jonathan doesn't end up dying because it was something about, like, they were like, well, no, like, it's like, it's not actually explicitly stated, but that assumption that, like, God doesn't necessarily just want you to kill someone to keep an oath that that god is okay would rather yeah human sacrifice and it that that mindset was soaked into mm. probably all of humanity but certainly that middle eastern yes mindset i mean there's a one of the famous plays of the greeks was uh, if i i could butcher it if someone might correct me please do but i believe it's agamemnon has to sacrifice his daughter mm. in order to sail his ships to do the Trojan War. And so they have a play just about his daughter going off and getting one final night or time mm-hmm. with their friend. That's one of the famous Greek plays. Mm-hmm. So and that's the same time frame as the judges. So Yep. And that's I mean that's exactly what Jeff Jeph- Jephtha. Jephtha's daughter does is she gets I think a whole year yeah. to mourn before she actually you There's know, these sacrifice. parallels between these stories but but the Bible is taking them where they're at yep. in that that messed up mindset that looks so ridiculous to us now, mm-hmm. and moving them over time by inter, you know by God entering into such a broken system. Yep. Um. Yeah, we're we're getting deep into this. <laughs> so. Yeah. So so two of the the key moments you talked about in your overview that I wanted to kind of spend a little bit of time on was the Exodus story. And King David. And so why were like those two events so important to the Jewish people? The Exodus story is is God claiming the, the Jewish people as his own fully. He redeems them. He purchases them out of Egypt mm-hmm. by his great miracles. And from then on, he speaks of them as his people. Now, he had already set that up with Abraham and his descendants, but 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 now he's enacted it. He's paid the price with the... the um, the miracles and now they're his and so 
he then begins to make these covenants with them. Mm-hmm. And then in David, he, God also renews the covenant. And and I think with, with the the King David, God is trying to teach them what, what a what a just ruler would look like mm. who would bring about his will and his ways and lead in the way, the right way. So that's certainly key for setting up the future Messiah mm-hmm. who uh, would be a son of David. Um, I mean, we could speak about others, but those are two key moments. I think in that story that God is, is, is steering them. And they're also high points. Right. Um, Cause as you mentioned, after the Exodus, they have the period of the judges after David, you have <laughs> the, the um, a lot of bad kings who lead people and they get back involved in false worship. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the battle there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there was something that you mentioned in your sermon that I was curious about. Um, So you, you kind of said that it was after, so after King David, all the Kings after him slowly continued to go downhill for the most part. There was a couple of good guys in there. Right. Um, and that leads the kingdom of Israel, um, both north and south, to be sent into exile. And so you mentioned that it was only after the exile that the people, the Jewish people, really began to base their understanding of their religion and their God on the Torah and on the writings. Um, they became people of the book. Yeah, that's how you phrased it. Um, so can, like, can you kind of dive into that a little bit more? Like, did the people really, like, there's stories of, like, King Josiah where the book of the law was neglected and then he found it. And so, obviously, there was some neglect of the of the book. But, like, was it really that bad? Like, did, was it really when they went into exile that they were like, okay, like, no, we're going to put our foot in this book and like this is going to be the basis for who we are as a people before the exile they would have if you said how do you practice your religion how do you show your faith in Yahweh mm. they would have said I I go sell to Jerusalem and celebrate the festivals mm. I bring my sacrifices to the temple I listen to the priest and here's here's what he said hear what he says um they may have also added, I follow the law. Okay. Um, but there's a good chance they didn't know the law that well. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that they didn't seem to know the laws that They're, well. Yeah. Um, they don't do too well at it for the most part. Maybe they were familiar. You'd hear, maybe you would heard it read at different times, mm-hmm. but you, you didn't have it to study. One is, I don't know how literate they would have been in that period. The people, right. The leaders would have been, the king would have been, Mm -hmm. the priests would have been. Um, but the people would not have been studying the Bible on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, there, they don't believe that synagogues formed till later. Okay. So, um, this, the synagogue system where you come and study the law and revere the law, that doesn't happen till after the exile. Mm. And it makes sense how do you practice your religion? Well, you can't go to a temple. You can't celebrate festivals. You don't have a king to turn to. Right. We gather together on Shabbat, mm-hmm. on the Sabbath. We we hear the law and we learn it. We study. And it seems that then they became to become, that became the sole focus. And I think it's that. Then they almost would hear the history yep. of what, had happened before and see all the mistakes that their forefathers had made. 
um, I think that's what started to to make it click. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, in Jesus's time, you had lay people who would also gather and talk about the law and stuff. Right. Um, which I forget the term that's used for that. Um, well, there's the scribes were, were those who, who studied. Yeah, there was like a, oh, I should have looked it up. There was like a movement that had a name um, of like lay people that it, it started right around Jesus's time where they would like meet up over a meal. Okay. And it was like outside of the normal Shabbat Sunday or Saturday morning worship at the synagogue type of thing. Okay. Um, I believe you. That sounds like yeah. the kind of things that was happening. Right. But they would yeah. only be able to do that because they had been so immersed in the law You're and right. in that teaching, their whole upbringing type yeah. of thing from hearing it read every Saturday. And I wonder if that increasingly they, they became, let's teach our children how to read. Right. That, that teaching your children the law became more and more important over that time as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it probably helped in the literacy rate of the Jewish people as compared to other peoples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just fascinating when you see it as a story that, that, you know, you just, if you read it in isolation, it's like, why are there so many bad things that happen in the Bible? And it makes no sense. But when you understand it, that God was doing something, he was mm-hmm. leading his people all to be ready yep. to send his son, the Messiah. Yeah. You know, when, when the time had come, God sent his son, born of woman, mm-hmm. born under the law yep. to save his people. And, and it even says save them from the very law he'd given them because that law was, was insufficient to save them. Right. Um, yeah, that's actually where we're headed this next Sunday. So I don't want to go too far on that, <laughs> but, um, spoilers. Um, and, you know, does it make sense that it would take that long? I mean, if you look at Israel's history, it makes sense. Yeah. I I mean, you know, maybe maybe if they had started and with the synagogue practice and had gotten better at literacy and being in the book earlier, maybe like, you know, things like the judges and stuff wouldn't have happened, but an exile might not have happened, but I you know, I think I and I think part of it too really like the fact that God allowed it to take so long. Right. Really shows some of his character and the fact that he constantly pursues his people and his yeah. creation and that like he will always uphold his covenant even when we screw it up. Um and all of those sorts of like the fact that he's willing to use he still wants to use corrupt humans to do his will. Yeah. Even when like we forget who he is type of thing and he's willing to always meet us where we're at. Yeah. So. And I, I wonder how often God allows me to stumble in the dark and do stupid things because he's leading me closer to his son, leading mm-hmm. me to grow in ways. And I would wish he would have just imparted it to me when I was younger. But. <laughs> oh, so many yeah. times. Like, yeah. Why can't there just be a button? Like, right. you know, okay. I said yes. And I, <laughs> I understand everything. It's all fixed. No more stumbling. It's right. fine. But. But I think you're right. We only understand God's faithfulness mm-hmm. when we, we see it through the, the struggles. Yeah. And it's when I've seen his faithfulness in the past, like, you know, there was, what, 400 years between the last prophet and uh-huh. when John the Baptist showed up. Like, you know, if 
if you didn't have all of that history of generations to generations of God's faithfulness, then like how easy would it have been in that waiting period to be like, is this worth it? Like is, was all that fake? Like, does God still actually care about us? Um, And somehow they became more convinced. Yeah. So that by the time of Jesus, they were looking for Messiahs. Right. Yeah. They, Um, they, even though they had people pop up that say they're in the Messiah that totally were (laughs) led them astray. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's the, the patience of God is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after you went through the whole overview, you honed in more on like God's salvation plan. Uh-huh. And, um, I guess we've kind of already started talking about some of this, but if you were to speculate, like, why did God choose such a complex, like convoluted salvation plan? That took so long. I guess we kind of have already talked about this. I don't know what, I mean, I think God had to teach us mm-hmm. and um, he had to sink it in. I mean, if we didn't have the convoluted history, what part of the Bible could we do without that, that wouldn't, True. that we wouldn't learn from? Yeah. You know, some of the greatest prop prophetic writings were in the exile or soon right, right near the exile, the, the, the stuff of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're right in the, what is kind of perplexing. Why the 400 some year gap between yeah. the Malachi um, and, you know, the, the last, those who brought, they came, for those who don't know the story in the Bible, they came back from exile. Right. It was restored in the land of Jerusalem and Judah, Judah. And then there was a 400 years up until John the Baptist and Jesus. Right. So why that big gap? Yeah. Or even just like, why, why did he not just show up in, you know, Genesis five? If, if the fall happened in Genesis three, why not just show up in Genesis five and fix it like right then and there? But yeah. Was there just one fall? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was the fall. There was the fall, and then everyone just kept forgetting. Well, yeah, I yeah. guess by Noah. When's Noah? Genesis, like, it's not even chapter 11, is well, it? Well, yeah, by Genesis 11, they've, humanity has fallen and lost all knowledge of God. That's right. Sort of, that's, I think, the lowest point. Yeah. Yeah, because no one seems to even know anything about God. Yeah. Um, but why did God have to do it that way? <laughs> I don't know. It's... It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, so I'll ask you, why does yeah. this matter now? Ooh. That, okay, why does it matter that God took, uh, did such a convoluted salvation plan or? Or like, why, why is it good to understand the salvation plan at all? Mm. I think because, um... Hold on, I'm going to compile my thoughts before I dive in, because <laughs> it's going to come out. I think that if you if you don't understand the salvation plan... Um, okay, so I think a lot of people look at the Bible as if it's just like, you know, a list of rules or a, a you know, here's all the good people and what they uh-huh. did. But if you actually sit with it, like we talked about in Judges, right? There's some leaders that you're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. And I think if you don't have the whole salvation plan in mind, 
you can, like, take the book of Judges and be like, this makes no sense. Right. Like, why would God use these, you know, corrupt people? Why did God, like, why didn't God just go out and did what he did with Moses and just, or with Abraham and just find a new guy and be like, okay, I choose you now. You're now my people. I'd abandon the old ones. Um, And so I think that to really understand God's character and to better see how he's at work throughout, especially the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, I think having that salvation plan in mind and realizing that all of it points to Jesus um, Mm. is super helpful, especially when you end up in a book like Numbers and they're talking about genealogies. Yeah. You see the the importance of Jesus all the more. Yes. Because you see every other leader whom God had brought about, who, who in a sense sort of could bring salvation, all of them fell short. From Abraham to David oh, to yeah. all of them. And that's when you see like Jesus is the only one mm-hmm. who, who was worthy. And we're going to end this series with he was the only one worthy to open the scroll. Yeah. Um, the, the, the God's plan going forward yeah yeah and, and you need you need that whole plan to realize that a human like a just a human not a a someone who was 100 percent god and 100 percent man like jesus right like, couldn't do it like we are and it it reveals why you need a savior yeah um which is i think a lot of people well yeah i think paul talks about how like the law like taught us that we needed a savior yeah that was the whole point of it like, we could never actually fulfill it. Um, mm-hmm. But then Jesus comes and fulfills it for us. Right. So. And it also answers our other question. Like, why couldn't salvation have come to the Greeks or to the... Right. You know, it, it had to come from a divine origin. Mm-hmm. No, no one man. And they were always looking for the Savior. The, the Alexander the Great. The, yep. the great man who would come in and fix everything. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so last question, uh, you mentioned that salvation is not just like a one-way ticket to paradise when we die. I spelled that wrong. Uh, but it's also, it's really more of an invitation to be known by God and become part of his family. Yeah. Um, so can you kind of maybe spell out a little bit deeper um, or with a little bit more detail where in the Bible that distinction comes from? Because I feel like that's a bit of a misunderstanding. I think most people think that the Bible just is like says, oh, okay, and then when you die, you get into heaven, and that's salvation. Yeah, I, well, it's all over the Bible. <laughs> I, I wonder where, where the wrong idea comes from. Mm. I mean, any thoughts on that, where people get focused on it's just about getting a ticket to heaven? Yeah, I think... Could it be the only time they hear a preacher talk? Is it a funeral? Could be. And I know that there's a whole thing about how like our culture always pairs like heaven and hell. And uh-huh. I know that in the Bible it never pairs those two words. It's always heaven and earth. Um, oh, okay. And so I've I've heard of theories like that and I think it had something to do with some cultural thing that came about that brought kind of brought that understanding but i don't i don't remember it well enough well we could always blame it on dante's inferno and <laughs> where he had you know yep. the, the hell inferno and then purgatory and then paradise and um and there's that which grew out of of course the christian teaching um i i think i'm trying to think where does it talk about you're made to know god it, it um 
it does use the word saved a lot. You know, when when God's mercy came, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Mm. Um, but the salvation is always pointing to relationship. Um, the The good shepherd, you know, you're saved by entering into the sheepfold, becoming one of his sheep. Mm. Um, all the, uh, the, the, the vine and the branches you're saved by being connected to the vine, abiding in the vine as a branch so that you're, you're in him. So I think all the analogies and the metaphors help us understand. That's why I think mm. Jesus kept using those, mm-hmm. um, as, as a way to, to, to invite. Now, of course, we do know that knowing Jesus means life eternal. Right. And I think we, we start, you know, John three sixteen is still a useful verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that life is always in, in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, I think for me, what's helpful when I realized that there was a distinction between like kind of those two understandings was that like, as you were saying, like abiding in Jesus, that doesn't have to wait till I'm dead. Like that starts right. now. And so I can experience part in part what life with God will be like after I pass away and, you know, uh-huh. get my new body and the new earth, heaven and new earth type of thing. Yeah. Um, that talks about in revelations, but, um, whereas instead of just the, like, yeah, it's just, it's just the one way ticket that I just hold as a safety in my back pocket. Right. And I just go about my life as I wish until I die. Part of where it might've come from is Paul in his, the, the letters is so emphasizing the fact that we're not saved by our deeds, Mm -hmm. that we're saved by grace. And I think, you know, if you put in a legal system, God cancels the debt against us. And so we're saved by, you know, being forgiven of our sins that some people can then think, okay, then I'm free to do whatever I want to do. That's not what Paul was saying. Right. But I think he was so emphasizing that you don't earn your way into this in any way that Mm -hmm. I think that that could be where people pull out a few verses of Paul and focus just on the ticket to heaven idea. Right. Right. Paul is speaking to a bunch of people who grew up in cultures and religions where everything was based off of what you did. So yeah. he had to emphasize that. Yes. Whereas our culture is, has a lot more grace in it because a, a lot of, uh, the ideas and, um, ideologies that are underneath our culture come from a time when predominantly a large amount of people were Christians or yes. had that background. And so sometimes you need to talk a little bit, focus a little bit less on the grace and remind people that like, actually like there's stuff we could do now. Like there's right expectations of what it looks like to be part of the family of God. Well, and also that the grace is not just eternal life. It's mm-hmm. life in Christ that yes. lead lasts for eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, I always note that the, the old Testament line is the, the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. And if you don't understand that, fear of the Lord, then God's grace doesn't make sense. Mm. And so I, I, that's where, again, we're knowing the story of the Bible Yeah, is helpful to see what God is up to. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thank you, Pastor Mitch. Do you have any other questions or thoughts? 
No, my mind's a blank at this point. <laughs> but I'm looking for. I lo- I'm having fun so far in the series. Actually, we have a Sunday where you're going to hear from some of the elders. Cool. We're going to have a, a kind of a, a a Sunday, a special Sunday where some of the elders are going to share what's their heart for the mission mm-hmm. that we have as a church, and I'll share a little bit as well. But um, and then we'll come back to we did this was uh, through one people. It'll be through one woman. How does Mary fit into the salvation plan of God? Cool. So that's where we're headed. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. All right. Thank you as always. Thanks.